like Daniel said, my name is Emmett. Molly is right over there. And I think I have a picture of our family. So you can go ahead and put that up there. All right, so this is us. So uh, we have two daughters. We have uh, Blake. She's there in the blue shirt. And then Tess is the redheaded tornado that's over there. Um, and she has every stereotype you've heard about a redhead. It, she's that. It fits. Tornado is like a, I, there's probably a better word for it, but tornado is what we'll go with for tonight. So, uh, so like Daniel said, we went to uh, Sam Houston. Molly and I both met, we met there, we were in Chi Alpha there, um, and we started to walk with the Lord there at Sam because people like you guys fought for us. And we were not easy people to win. So Molly was an athlete, she ran track, scholarship athlete there, and I was a, uh, a church kid turned frat boy. So, uh, yeah, polar opposites there, right? The full circle, the full circle. So uh, the reality is we really had our communities already set. You know, Molly had her track team that she was with all the time, and unfortunately I had frat boys to hang out with. Um, but the cool thing is, is, thank you, Daniel, our small group leaders that we had met really fought for us. I mean, like, really, really fought for us. Um, so just real quick, whatever people in your life you're thinking about or even starting to entertain the idea of like, hey, these people will never get it, don't stop fighting. Don't stop fighting. Because if it wasn't for people like you guys who didn't stop fighting, Molly and I wouldn't be here today. So thank you guys for doing that. Um, so in time at Sam Houston, we both became small group leaders. I think we've got a picture up there of Molly's small group. And then the next one's got some of my small group. Um, and what's crazy and wild, and this probably makes sense to you guys too, uh, nobody ever really wants more responsibility, right? Nobody just wakes up and be like, you know what? Today's a good day for more responsibility, right? That doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. But the reality is, is it's always going to come, and we can't run from it, right? My wife will tell you that life is eternal small group leading. So we both did the internship. We were on staff. Um, and you guys have probably heard the XA mission statement, right? Changing the university, the marketplace, and the world. So, uh, so we took that very seriously. <laughs> so we started at the university, uh, ministering there. We were on staff. Um, and then we actually moved overseas. And we were missionaries in Germany for about two years. So we were the Chi Alpha pastors at an international church, part of an evangelical cafe. I think we've got a picture of that next one. So those are some of our students from our group there. But as we were overseas, we felt God asked us to come and specifically go into the marketplace, right? And to be honest, this really shook us. It was confusing. It was gut-wrenching. We thought we'd be overseas forever. But we knew, just like you, know, just like you guys know, there was no other place we'd want to be inside other than inside of God's will, right? All we wanted to be was obedient. At the end of the day, all we wanted to be was to be obedient. So we said yes. So as of now, most of our ministry we do is birthed out of our home, around our table, in the front yard, in our offices. I think there's, yeah, there's a picture there. Um, and right now, we're leading groups of alumni who are walking out what it means to be intentional in the marketplace, right? Just like Daniel said, our mission field is always where our feet are. So as of now, Molly's working at home, raising our two little ones with another one on the way. Uh, if you haven't seen our girls yet, I'm sure you'll hear them before tonight is done. Look like dad, act like mom, I think is an appropriate saying here. Uh, and so I work at the university at Sam. I do IT stuff, which is basically just means I'm a nerd and do nerd things all day. So anyways, enough about us. Let's get to the stuff that matters. So let's pray real quick, and then we'll get into it, all right? So Jesus, we love you, God. 
We are so grateful, Father, for who you are. God, we love you, Jesus, not always, not necessarily because of what you've done for us, Jesus, but just who you are, your character, Lord, and just for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom. Jesus, we pray that you move tonight, God, that you move in spite of Molly and I, Lord, and that the words that you have prepared, Jesus, will be communicated. Not our words, but your words. Jesus, we love you. We need you. Be with us tonight. Amen. All right, so tonight... We're going to talk about a businessman that changed nations. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 37. Um, And as you guys are turning there, we're going to start in verse 12. But before we read, we're going to go ahead and set the context, all right? So right now we're going to talk about Joseph. And we see already in chapter uh, 37, starts out strong. It says, Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father, right? Them being his half-brothers. So clearly, we already know that Joseph is his father's favorites. He's got that rad tunic of many colors. He's got two dreams. So that kind of sets the context of where we're going to be for tonight, which is Genesis 37, chapter 12. So I'll go ahead and read it, and I think it, yeah, it should be there on the screen. It says, soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back, bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem for their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there, right? So basically, we kind of get the idea of the story. He's going to find his brothers and not where they're supposed to be, um, but Joseph continues to go, right? So one of the incredible things here is as soon as, Ju- as soon as Joseph knew his father's will, his heart's response was, I'm ready to go, right? We see in the scripture that... Um, Jacob tells Joseph, go ahead and get your stuff ready. And Joseph replies, no, I'm ready to go now. I don't need to go get anything. I'm ready. Let's go now, right? So what was his father's will for Jacob? To go and get his brothers. What is our father's will for us? To go and get our brothers and sisters, right? That's what the Lord wants from us. So some of you are here tonight, and you want to know what your life calling is. You're asking, what am I supposed to do with my life? What is my grand call? So we're here to tell you that it's this. It's this very thing right here. This is your grand call to go and get your brothers and sisters. Everything else is just details. Now, please, please hear me rightly. The details matter to Jesus, right? They matter. But the details will never, ever be more important than this actual call. The details will never be more important than the actual call. So if the details, the place, the location, the finances, if these things are fighting for the throne of your heart, then it's time to go to war. Because Jesus is unafraid to remove them. And that's called mercy. Right? So, jo- so Joseph goes, comes to Shechem. We know Shechem is a bad place. We see in verse 17 that his brothers were not there. So at this point, Joseph very easily could have turned around, went back home, and was like, 
hey, pops, they weren't there. I don't know what to tell you. I'm done. I'm out. I'm going back to sleep, right? But he didn't because Joseph didn't go to search for his brothers simply because his father sent him, but rather Joseph sought them because he loved them. He had a burden for them despite the way that they treated him. Joseph went after them until he found them. And that probably makes a lot of sense for some of you guys, right? That person that the Lord could be asking you to chase after is a person that probably doesn't treat you very nicely, right? Well, let me tell you that the Lord died for that person just like he did for the one that treats you nicely, right? We don't get to self-select out who Jesus is asking us to go for, right? So Joseph went after his brethren until he found them. He carried this out not just to the letter, but to the spirit of his father's instructions and did not rest until he had traced them from Shechem to Dothan. And that was the spirit of Joseph's life. He did his work not because he was obligated to do it, but because God had given him him to do and had called him to do it. So do we have our father's heart in mind? Regardless if our brother loves us or not, we know we are called to find, feed, and fight for the lost souls. But do we realize that conviction doesn't stop when we leave here? We are not called just to find, feed, and fight for UTRGV, but for the lost souls no matter the location, right? We don't get to self-select obedience. We don't get to choose to be obedient just when it's convenient, because that's not obedience. We fight for cultures in our small group. We fight for cultures in our Chi Alpha. Why don't we fight for cultures in our neighborhood? Why don't we fight for a culture in our workplace? So maybe you're thinking the summer's coming, semester's almost done. Well, the fight isn't done, right? The fight doesn't stop. One of the true tests of convictions is longevity. If something is actually conviction in your life, then it lasts the test of time, right? So you guys might have heard of a guy named Dick Brogdon. If you haven't, Google his name, read something by him. It'll mess you up real good. Um, But I read something not too long ago that messed me up real good. It says, we are called to live by faith and not feelings. So you know what that means for us? It means we do the thing we know is right even when we don't feel like it. So we do the right thing even when we don't feel like it. Responsibility doesn't always feel good. It's usually really uncomfortable. If we look at the book of Daniel, do you think Daniel's dream job was to step up and serve, was to offer himself to interpret a dream to an angry king who was ready to kill him and all of his friends? That's pressure. He stepped up in faith and not feelings because he knew it was the right thing. It means we know and trust The Lord is good and faithful, and his will is always better than our plans. Right? Sweet. So I'm going to pass it over to Molly. She'll bring it home. Take that laptop, nerdy boy. I got paper here. I'm going to just throw it on the ground when it's done, y'all. So I won't promise I'm not. Nobody run up here and try to get it. (laughs) Okay, so... I'm going to make us do something obnoxious because I used to be a teacher, and this is what you do so nobody falls asleep, okay? Uh, If you tonight are a college student and you have a job, would you stand up? 
Yep, you got to stand up. I'm not making you do a group project. That's worse. Okay. Now, if you are an alumni here tonight and you're in the marketplace, stand up. Okay. Now, if you are someone in this room tonight and you know at some point in your life you're going to have to get a J-O-B, stand up. <laughs> hey, I used to be a missionary. Now I, got, I had to get a J-O-B, so <laughs> could be anybody. Okay, what I want you to do now is I want you to look around at each other. And do you know what I see? I see an army. That's what I see. I see a sleeping giant ready to wake up. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. You can have a seat now. When God called us back stateside, we were pretty confused. Um, I thought my kids would grow up speaking German for the rest of their lives. <laughs> we still speak it, but <laughs> it's a little bit messy now. But um, when God called us back, it felt really confusing um, to go into the marketplace. And the thing over and over that the Lord spoke to us was wake up a sleeping giant. Wake up a sleeping giant. Because 90% of you and all the other Chi Alphas will all go marketplace. 90% of you. If we cry out, God, change our nation, we're the sleeping giant to do it. And I want to tell you, we've both been in the marketplace. When we came home, we both went straight into jobs, both working at the university. I worked at um, the same office as Erica did. And let me tell you something. Marketplace, it's, it's really, honestly, when you walk with Jesus, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> it is thrilling. You think it's going to be an 8 to 5 boring, mundane life. And for some seasons, it can be. But it's not always. I worked in an office where there's probably 35 people, and I can tell you at nine months when I left that office, every single person in that office had either heard the gospel, had either heard a testimony about what God had done in my life. And this isn't because I'm some awesome person. No, I was going through a disastrous season of my life. It's because God is so gracious and good, and I can't, I can't be quiet about it. I can't keep my mouth shut about it anymore. And so I want to tell you that we don't always get to hear the stories of people in Marketplace. We do. We have people come and they cast vision for missions, and we should. Some of you will. You'll take the gospel to unreached places and praise God. I hope you do. Don't give up. But some of us here, you've never heard of anyone winning anyone in the Marketplace. I don't even know if you realize that that kind of fire still exists after you leave college, but it does. Emmett will tell you they baptize people in the fountain that they work with. <laughs> at the university, that's pretty rad. 30-year-olds getting baptized in the fountain, that's awesome, you guys. And this, these are things that we're seeing happen, not just here and there, but often. This is pretty awesome stuff that's going on, and it's the same story that you guys get to be a part of. It's the same thing that God is ready to write on your hearts. So we're going to continue on here with Joseph, and this is such an important part because if you want to have a ministry and marketplace— you have to walk with Jesus. It can't be by personality. Our personalities will fail us. When you leave and you graduate, there is a hard season ahead when you transition into the marketplace. I don't know if some of you have faced it, but it can be really lonely. You can be the only person at your job, and you start this job, and you're a nobody. 
great, good job, you just came out of college, woohoo, we don't care. <laughs> you, you have no experience, you, you really suck at everything. I probably shouldn't say suck, but that's a nicer way of putting it. Like, you are the nobody, nobody wants to listen to you, you feel like you have zero influence. You're the annoying person that's like, I have another question, my email won't work, and I have to change my password again, and they're like, why are you here? And you're like, I, I don't know, I have a college degree, I don't know. Um, but really and truly, you were fortified for this thing if you can cling to Jesus. This season you're in now, it's a training ground for what's next. This is not where you end. It's not. This is not where the most fruit in your life was made to be. This is where you are trained to go out. And when I said you look like an army, it's because that's what you are. And so it's time to start acting like one. Alumni, you guys are here and you have a steady present. Band together. Band together. This is what we're calling everyone to do. Go in together. Go live in the same areas. Work in the same jobs. We're seeing people do this, and it, again, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Me and Becky are best friends, and Sarah just gave her life to Jesus. I mean, it's like so easy when you go with your friends, and you all just win people over. Like, it's really awesome. Okay, I'm going to get started, but I just hope you guys are as excited as we are. Okay. So there's something huge about ministering in the marketplace, and it has to do with our character. And we can look at Joseph and know this. Though Joseph was stripped of his coat, he had not been stripped of his character. Everything else can be replaced but that. So when you start your job and you're a nobody, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many times you flop so hard at your job. I have literally made every mistake possible, and people still came to know Jesus. All that matters is that we walk with him and we cling with him. When it's hard, when it's not easy, when we're lonely, when we're nobodies, those are the hardest times. If you've never hit rock bottom, then you don't know what kind of sin you're actually capable of. <laughs> we all, when we assi assess what kind of sin we think we could be capable of, we always picture ourselves on mountaintops. But I can tell you, as coming home off the field as missionaries, man, I hit rock bottom. I was in a really hard place. And that's when the enemy came to attack me in my marketplace job. And the first thing he came for was my influence. The first thing he came to strip me of was my character. And I can tell you I was capable of everything the enemy came after me for. And so I don't say this lightly. We can look at Joseph and be like, good job, Joseph. You ran away from Potiphar's wife. Uh, no, that is <laughs> when you're lonely, your brothers hate you. They've sold you into slavery. You're a nobody. Like, yeah, it probably feels really good when someone is like, hey, I think you're awesome and handsome. He was probably very capable of that choice. But instead, he said, how could I do this thing to God? Not what if somebody found out. How could I do this thing to God? And so our character for Christ in the marketplace will give us more longevity than anything else. So moving on, your character paves the way for your testimony. And this is the thing. When his fellow servants were squandering the golden moments, Joseph was filling them with activities. Do you know what that means? It means when all the other people who were working were scrolling through Facebook or watching Captain America at work, uh, Joseph was not. <laughs> he was working really hard, and he was taking on responsibility, which, again, is not anything we all want to take on. When they were content with a good surface appearance, Joseph was not. When they worked to simply avoid the frown, he worked to win the smile of God. Do you work this way? Do you? I used to work at Chili's. Do you work at Chili's? Do you work this way for God at Chili's? Do you pepper in some fun that way? <laughs> but really, do you work to see God smile? Or is it like, okay, my managers aren't here. Like, now I can kind of eat some more chips, you know? <laughs> 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 I 
I didn't do that, but <laughs> it's a joke. Um, <laughs> but I think the big thing here is that Christianity is not some under-the-table deal. I'll believe in you, and you will always have a clean, paved, safe road for me. If that was the sort of relationship Joseph had with God, he would have never survived the storm, and he would have never made it to a place of influence for God. I love Elizabeth Elliot because she says this, Obedience is my responsibility, and the results of that obedience are up to God. And for Joseph, he was. He was obedient. He was in prison, and every good thing came under him because he did not let go of who God was. He did not let go of his influence there. We're not always promised that if we're obedient in the marketplace, we're going to be the CEO and have six figures. That's not what we're preaching to you. But what we're preaching is that if you're obedient, God's word says that it never comes back empty. That's the kind of wealth I'm talking about, six figures and people in heaven. I don't care about the paycheck. Then we talk about Joseph's blessing. And I'm just going to basically sum up Genesis 39, 2 through 6. I call this Joseph's resume. Potiphar said, he did not concern himself with anything. The warden in the jail said, he paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. And Pharaoh said, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot without your word. Can your manager say that about you? One day, can your bosses say that about you? This person is so faithful and their integrity is so strong that I don't even think about a thing that they do because I know that they have it under control. That is glorifying God in the marketplace. And only you know that. Only you know if you have that kind of integrity. But when I talk about blessing, I don't just mean that. What I mean sometimes is, have you ever been really nervous to share your faith? I have. Really nervous at, like, well, would it not be a blessing to someone? What if they felt like their life got really hard and they blamed me that it wasn't good, that I followed God and now everything's falling apart? Like, or what if it, w- like, you share Christ with them and then they think you're just really stupid and it's not a blessing? <laughs> I lived in Germany. A lot of people made me feel like I was really stupid for that. So maybe I'm the only one here. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that Christ himself is a blessing and not a burden. When you're sharing the gospel in the marketplace, regardless of what someone's response, which you don't even know what their response will be. We can pretend in our head that we know that's usually the devil. Um, but Christ himself is a blessing, not a burden. No matter what he asks of anyone. It's never a burden. It's not when we truly love him. And the next thing is this. What we have in Christ is a blessing to others. What does Peter say in Acts 3, 6? Silver and gold I have not, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Walk. You don't have to be the boss of your job to have influence. Silver and gold, who cares? Whatever. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. When you walk and you glorify God in the marketplace, he takes over. And not just for you. It's not about you. The glory of God will fall where you are at. If you are a teacher, the glory of God will change your school. Not just you. Not just your students. If you are a nurse, the glory of God will change your hospital. Not just you. Not your patients. It will fall on everyone. Everyone, people will start to feel the presence of God without you even having to always share the gospel to them. I'm telling you, this is the, we don't even think like that, but that's exactly what it is. The glory of God will fall. Christ 
God, he blessed Egypt. He blessed a nation that didn't even walk with him because Joseph glorified God. Daniel was in exile. <laughs> an entire nation knew the name of God because Daniel. And he was working, y'all. This is wild stuff that we can change nations just through our jobs and glorifying God and being faithful. Whatever blessing God gives us in business management, leadership, financial management, it's given so that the nations of the world see it and recognize the hand of God. It's not for anything else. That's the sole purpose of it. I'll say that again. Whatever blessing God gives us in business, leadership, financial management, it's given so the nations of the world see it and recognize the hand of God. This nation has to see it. America needs to see it. The businesses in America, the schools in America, we need to see the glory of God appear again. God intends to create and grow, grow wealth for one reason, his glory among the nations, the preservation of life, and the advancement of the gospel. Are you ready to do that? When you signed up for Marketplace, are you ready to do that? It's not about anything else. And so, okay, what I'm going to go over now is we have five marketplace convictions that we stand by and that we teach on. And these are life-changing and life-giving for us to have longevity in what we're doing. And I can tell you now that a lot of people don't. A lot of alumni, when they leave, they don't have longevity. And some of these things are not convictions that they carried with them. Um, but we're believing that these are things that are really going to change us in the marketplace. The first one is this. You're called to serve the local church, okay? I have a soapbox about this, so I'm going to get on it. Um, <laughs> the first one is this. I know that church is not exactly everyone's favorite word. I did not grow up in church. I did not want to be a part of a church. When people from a church came to ask me to be in a small group, I literally laughed at them because... Everything that I could think of with the word church was negative. I felt like I am the most obnoxious, wildest person in the world. I have no gentle spirit. <laughs> I cannot check any Christian boxes. <laughs> My parents say every cuss word in the book. <laughs> it was like, and so, so did I. Like, it, I had nothing that I just felt was relatable or open for a church. And it was easy to get behind at the time because the church has been under fire. There's been a lot of unimaginable and disgusting things that have happened in a church building. These are awful things. So it was easy to get by at the time and be like, I don't want any part of that. You people are weird and crazy and um, gross. You know, it was, just, it was just kind of, not even for all of us, it's our generation. It's our culture that we're in right now. If you don't think the church is under fire, ask 10 people on campus tomorrow what they think about the church. Ask yourself, what do you really think about the church? Really, truly. But I just want to be clear about this. I'm not talking about the church offending people because it doesn't agree with every generation's new fight against the character of God. And I'm not mocking what our generation is going through. I'm not. But what I'm saying is this happens in every generation, and we're always offended by the church. Read your Bible. It talks about this. The church is going to be persecuted. We can't leave her every time she's persecuted. Like, in 10 years, it's going to be another thing that we're going to, like, there's always going to be offense. But the church must always back scripture, even if it is offensive to every generation. Read the Bible. This isn't new. 
But this is the truth, that Christ died a gruesome, offensive death for us, and the church, the bride, can never be okay with people loving their shackles more than her husband. They can't. We can't. Because they know the kind of pureness that we are called to. You can't let someone walk in shackles and be like, ah, no, it's okay, no big deal. No big deal. That addiction won't ruin your life. It'll be fine. It'll go away. Have you ever felt that way with someone you love? Broken. Broken. The church, the bride of Christ, not some generalized term we throw around to take blame for human sin. I'm going to say that again. The church, the bride of Christ, not some generalized term we throw around to take blame for human sin. The church is God's idea. In its original identity, it is good and worth fighting for. If we love Jesus, we love his bride. And we lay our lives down for his bride. And when you are called to marketplace, you are called to serve the bride of Christ. Here in this nation, And from that, we birth out people to other nations who have never heard the gospel. And that is the body of Christ. You are called to that. If we do not partner with the bride of Christ, I can guarantee you in a 10-year span, your devotional life is not going to hold you over when your foundation is breaking apart in your life. You were made to be Christ's bride. And when he comes back, he is looking for a whole bride. And you are in his mind for that. That is what we battle for when we serve the church. We're not going to be entertained. If you don't like the worship, who cares? You're not there for the worship. You're there for Jesus. If the light show wasn't good enough, I'm sorry. But our friends in Iraq, they don't have a light show. That's not what the bride of Christ is. So so we can't go in and be so offended that the preaching wasn't up to par. You're not, in, you're not made to be entertained. When Christ died for you, it wasn't so that someone could put a puppet show on for you. Like, you are made to partner with the church so that the broken people in your community in this nation can be partnered and see that Christ actually moves. Not just for entertainment. That he actually moves and changes people's lives from broken to whole. When I gave my life to the Lord in college, my family had never ever walked with God. And today, before we came here, my dad this morning opened up his Bible and said, I, I'm going to church now, and I, this is my Bible that I'm taking with me, and I'm so excited. My dad, at 69 years old, he's stepping in a church, and he's serving the bride of Christ. I didn't think I'd ever see that. You guys, Jesus can do anything, but that's your call. That's your call to partner with the church. My soapbox is done. I'll move on. (laughs) Two, you are called to the Great Commission. We are all called to live intentional gospel-sharing lives. We are to be the bridge to the church, not hide in the church. You weren't made to just do every activity in the church and never actually reach anyone who would never ever walk in a church. Are you with me? Okay, because we can do that. We can schedule out, well, on Monday night I have yoga for Christians, and on Tuesday night I have... (laughs) that's awesome, like community's awesome, but not if we're just in community and we're not actually bringing anyone with us because had someone not brought me with them at 19, I wouldn't know God, my family wouldn't know God, my children wouldn't know God, I wouldn't have married this guy with really good teeth who knows God, like, 
God only knows the path I was on. If you knew me in college, you knew me. Like, I'm the, it was a rough, thank God that someone bridged me to the church. Like, But too, we can say these things. I've had someone tell me, well, my neighbor, I always invite them to church, but they never go to church. I'm like, what's your neighbor do for fun? And they're like, their kid's really into t-ball. And I'm like, go watch a t-ball game. The gospel was made to be portable. The ark of God moved. Like, go. That is what the gospel was made to do. Business is mission. Some of you think if God calls you into the marketplace at 21, that you're called in America forever in a four-bedroom house in a back backyard, and your kids are going to all go to school, and they're going to be like, whatever. We have this picture in our head. What are you going to do when you're really good at your trade? And God at 35 says, hey, I want you to go overseas, and I want you to work over there. And I want you to reach people there. Will you go? Your kids will be in junior high. Would you do that for them? I would. <laughs> I'm waiting for that. I'm ready. I joke about this, but we mean it. Sometimes we get set in this like, oh, I'm called to Marketplace. <laughs> we did that. Oh, we're missionaries forever. And then God was like, no, go home and go to the Marketplace. And we were like, why? Why would you do that to us? And now we're like, Oh, we were made to do this. Okay, this is what you want us to do. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And it's so much better to do what God wants you to do than what you think you want to do. My goodness, it really is. And even this, Joseph was a foreigner who glorified God in another nation through business. Don't think you couldn't do it. Business or full-time ministry, we live with moving tubs ready. We're waiting. And maybe we stay forever where we're at. But we're ready. God, you can use us. Where do you want to send us? You want to send us to Cairo? We'll go to Cairo. We'll work there. You want to make us missionaries again? We'll do that again. Who cares about the budget? I say that lightly. That's a hard budget to raise. <laughs> I raised it as an MA. We raised it as an MA. That's a hard budget to raise. Um, but we do it again. We do it again. The third thing, bless the nations. And this is important. You are called to be funders of the gospel going forward. You really are. That's part of what we do. I love when we get newsletters from people. It's never a burden when anyone calls us for support. Never. Sometimes we can't. Most of the time when we say no, we think, oh, God, we should probably pray one more time about that. And sometimes God's like, I want you to stretch it. I want you to actually give where it hurts. And we do. And that's not a burden. When you leave here and people call you for support, it's not a burden. You know why they call you? Because they know you have convictions about the gospel going forward. That's why they call you. They're, they don't feel entitled. They feel mortified. Sometimes they have to call. Let's not be offended, right? It's a joy to fund the Great Commission going forward. It's a joy. But also this. You are not just funders. That's not all you are. You are fighters. You are funders and fighters. And when our friends come home from overseas and they step foot in your church, it should be like a victory lap for them. When they come home on furlough, they should see all of us in churches winning here, here as they win there. You are funders and fighters. That's not all you are. You're not a wallet. When you go to heaven, you don't just bring cash. We're bringing people, right? We're both. The fourth thing, missions over money. When people graduate, I always ask them, where are you going to go work? I don't know, probably where we get the biggest paycheck. I said that. <laughs> I didn't get a big paycheck. <laughs> um, what we're saying to, to students now is this. Ask God where he wants to send you and then go. It might be the lowest income. Who cares? Who cares? Go with your friends. What, you and Becky or Busty? Like, go take over Houston together. You know, like, why not? 
You and your friends, you're all going to be teachers. Go to the same school. You don't think you can change a culture? My goodness. If you're a teacher in here, anybody teachers in here, you can sweep a culture. If you, if you, can, if you cannot gossip, you can sweep a culture. I promise. Give it a year. You can change an entire school of people, an entire school. Do it. Go together. Don't go where the money is. Ask God. He has a call on your life. He knows where he wants you. And it's not about the money because he's got everything in the world. We've never gone without, ever. And we've never gone for a paycheck anywhere. And so I can, I can tell you that. The last one is this. Work is worship. It's worship. If you're a student right now, when you study for your courses, that is worship. What God has called you to in this season, that is worship. The same thing when you work. Are you struggling with your purpose? Are you wanting some grand call for God? We don't worship Jesus for a grand call. That's not, your work isn't worship just because you have some grand call on your life. Jesus was first a carpenter. That's what he first was. And if you don't think that was mundane, then let's think about scripturally what they said about him. Isn't this the carpenter? Does that sound like someone with a really grand call or important title? Why are we listening to this guy? Isn't he the carpenter? But I mean that. It's really easy to get a job that you hate, that you feel like isn't a big deal. When I worked at Chili's, like, did I, like, I didn't, I didn't think that was, like, my dream job. So then it's kind of easy to get in this, like, self-pity, like, well, I can't really worship God in my work until I get this job. No, we don't worship a grand call. I don't know who said this quote. It wasn't me. I wish it was. But I didn't write it down. But they said this. There is something infinitely better than doing a great thing for God. And the infinitely better thing is to be where God wants us to be, to do what he wants us to do, and to have no will apart from his. You don't have to do something amazing at all. I've cleaned, I've cleaned places for money. I was being a janitor. That's worship to God. I don't care. Think of the lowest thing you could do. That's worship to God. Motherhood, changing diapers, that's worship to God. Is your worship honorable? And this is where we go back to character. Do you have godly integrity? If you can't be trusted with little, you will never be given more. Ever, by your bosses, by your coworkers. If you can't come to work on time, I don't want you on my team. <laughs> I probably can't fire you because of HR, but I surely won't give you more responsibility. You won't get promoted under me. I can assure you that. What about this? This is a huge one because in marketplace, if you want to have influence, you're going to have to not get caught up in stupid, petty little conflicts. If you would rather defend yourself in a conflict with a coworker than in humility, close your mouth and glorify God, you will not be trusted with any more souls. If you care more about justifying yourself than Christ justifying for you, nope, no one's going to trust your testimony of God. If you can't give them grace, how can they think that God would give them grace? If your work ethic can't be trusted, how can your testimony? How can it? If you lie about that hour and a half lunch you took, you text all day, you watch movies. Like our parents' generation, y'all, they didn't do that. When I think about the work ethic my dad did, I'm like, good God, give me that work ethic, Lord, for the rest of my life and give it to our generation because it's gone. Look to your mom and dad. Look to your parents. Look to your grandparents. That is a great generation who knows how to work hard. 
If you don't know, ask them. I guarantee if you can look at their hands and their hardworking hands, those people know what it means to work with integrity. Look to your parents. That's what I did. Goodness. And I learned it, and God glorifies it. And when you do that, I'm telling you, people just think you are something special, and they're like, oh, here's a promotion, oh, here's a promotion. You're not even qualified to do these things, but they're just like, you come to work on time, and you're, I don't know, you just don't argue with me, and I really like that. Nobody else does that. I'm not kidding. <laughs> if you think I'm joking, I'm not. <laughs> like, I worked at one place, and within a couple months, they were just like, oh, you, you should apply for this job. And I was like, I'm not qualified for that job. And they're like, Luna, we'll give you that job if you apply for it. <laughs> okay, so I applied for the job, and they're like, the job's yours. And I was like, I don't know how to do this job. <laughs> but God does, so praise God. <laughs> Okay, this is a huge one because I won't get on this soapbox, but I want to. Um, whiners do not make warriors for the kingdom of God. You're someone in your workplace. You're always whining. You're always complaining. My boss sucks. G guess what? You're going to have a sucky boss. L like, that is bound to happen in the 50, 60 years that you work. Like, well, that's probably a long time. But um, <laughs> who knows by then? But. That's bound to happen. Whiners do not make warriors. I've worked in a lot of really rough cultures of <laughs> workplaces, and people who whined, I knew automatically, mm, no, you're not my go-to person. I love you. I'm going to share the gospel with you, but I am not going to partner with you in taking this place over. Like, mm -mm. whiners do not make warriors. I'm going to close with this. Joseph was perhaps one of the first ones to use his business sense for the cause of God's global glory. That's something for us to take at heart. There's that capability there. You were made to change cities, nations, families, homes, everything. That's what you were called to do. And Joseph did that. We have that kind of capability. And ladies, this is a word for you too. It's not just about Joseph, okay? Have you heard of Lydia in Acts? If you haven't, go read Acts. Look up Lydia. She was a dealer of purple cloth in Macedonia, which meant she had a rad job. Talk about a breadwinner. That's what she was. And she started the first house church in Europe. You think God doesn't care about women? He does. He does. We want to tell you this today. This is not your glory days. And I can look back at a lot of people in Chi Alpha, and this was their glory days. When they left, they felt like they had no vision for the rest of their life. They didn't partner with the church, and they felt like they were just people who were called to give money out to missionaries, and that leads to bitterness really quickly. And a lot of them, this was their glory days. And I hear them say this, like, man, it, I really used to walk with God in college. It was easier then. My life was easier then. And I'm like, shouldn't it be the opposite? I mean, my life has gotten significantly harder. <laughs> uh, I can't, Lord, please, God, don't go away. Please, like, it's not easier. Please don't leave any, like... But the truth is, like, you weren't made for this season to revel in when you're 40. Oh, kids, once I had a walk with God, and it was good. And, uh, then your mother. I mean, I'm just kidding. That's what, that's what Emmett makes that joke to me. <laughs> I can make that joke. Okay. <laughs> but I'm saying this. In our 30s, we are walking, not what will be our glory days forever, but it's significantly more fruitful than it ever was in college. And we, we fought for God in college. But at 30, I am on fire for God in a way I never have been in my life. At 30, I hunger for the word of God more than I've ever been. And not because I'm like, oh, but I, I want 
to be with Jesus at 30. My life is on fire for God. You can have that. I want all of you to be like Caleb. You know what Caleb says? At 75, I'm still just as vigorous for battle as I was then. I don't want my inheritance. Give me another city. That is where my heart is at. I want that to be where your heart is at. Are you going to be hungry for another city at 75? Or are you like, no, I'm retired. Says the gospel. <laughs> it doesn't retire until Jesus comes back. <laughs> Wasn't supposed to be funny, but it was. <laughs> but ultimately what we want for you today, whatever God calls and leads in your life, is this, that you would have longevity with Jesus. That you would want to glorify the king tonight and for the rest of your days, regardless of the details of the calling of your life, regardless of the job, regardless of your coworker who sucks so much, like that it would not destroy you for the gospel, regardless of that season that's rock bottom and it's hard, that you would have longevity with Jesus and that your children would walk with you in your glory days, not just hear about it. That's what you were called to do. And so, Daniel, I'm going to have you come up and just close out in prayer.